welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the podcast. If it's your first episode with me, uh, this is not what I normally do. I normally have guests, but I am checking in after six weeks. Uh, six weeks ago, I made a intention or a challenge for myself to meditate uh, four times a week. This is the second attempt at doing that. And also, I threw into it not drinking alcohol for that period. So this is a, a self-report on how that went, how I'm feeling. And then also, we're going to look at some data about the impact of meditation for new meditators and uh, jump right into that. So first off, the meditation I've been doing, getting into the self-report portion, uh, it's the sky breath, which is from the art of living. The art of living is an international nonprofit that teaches yoga and meditation. I've been doing courses with them for a while. And the sky breath is a very active breath. So you sit in a certain position that involves opening up your lungs and your chest. It takes about 20 minutes and it's a breathwork practice. So it's not a internal meditation, trying to still the mind or an observational meditation, observing the mind. It is more working with the breath and focusing on the breath specifically. And as a result of that, a meditative state coming, really enjoying it. It's a, it's a, it's a time to take for yourself, take for myself to calm down and do something for myself that's outside of my comfort zone. It was a challenge for me because I normally would not do something like that consistently. Self-care looks more like working out, for example. And what I'm realizing is that I need to always get, just working out is not going to get me where I want to go with my self-development because working out can be a cover-up. It can be a superficial tonic for something deeper uh, is what I'm realizing. So it's definitely essential, but it's not going to get me personally where I want to go. One thing, the only real observation I have of the meditation is actually feeling more connected to everything. It sounds kind of kooky, but for example, I walked past a tree the other day and I, I just, the only way I can describe it is that I felt, I felt the life in the tree. I could sense the tree was alive and you know, that sounds kind of strange and it's also pretty obvious. Like, of course, it's a living thing. It's alive, but feeling that connection and feeling connected to it was an interesting experience and something I really value. I value the idea of not just recognizing consciously or cognitively that we're connected to all things, if you believe that, but actually feeling it and knowing it and feeling a connection to it was, was very cool. And I attribute that to the meditation practice and my understanding of that process is that the more we go internal, the more you understand the universe within, if you will, the infinite consciousness within you, then you can look out and be connected to the consciousness of all things. Cause there is a common thread between every living thing, all things. Some people call it God. Some people call it the astral plane, 
There's a lot of ways to describe it, but it's this connection between all things. Um, so I'm definitely going to continue that and I really am enjoying it. It's a good way to floss the mind is is how I would describe it. And I definitely recommend it later in the episode. We're going to get to just a quick review of a, a peer reviewed study I found about meditation for new meditators, which I found pretty interesting. Okay. Secondly, alcohol abstinence. Why I did this was to, was for health was for not putting toxins in my body and feeling better, um, self-control. I felt like alcohol is a, is a crutch and is something that something I discussed in the last episode. If you want to listen to the story of someone who went sober almost 10 years ago, um, listen to the last episode with Patrick. For me, this is part of a wider effort of taking control of my life in the sense of not having my life be ruled by impulses, not being pinballed around by circumstances and things that happen, but rather being intentional and being in control of myself, my reaction to things that happen in my life, and then also reacting or or being conscious with how I with everything I do and not just going along with the crowd, if you will. The crowd in this sense not being a specific group of people as in as in a young adult in a in a social setting but rather more just the crowd being society in this country where i live which is where everyone drinks and particularly in philadelphia uh where i'm from and where i presently am residing so a lot of people online if they talk about stopping and drinking alcohol there's this big dramatic mood boost i didn't necessarily have that I feel the same. I guess I wasn't I wasn't in a particularly drinking phase at the time where I stopped. So I hadn't been drinking a lot in the previous couple months before I stopped. Maybe if I had been drinking more regularly previ- previous to that point, then I would feel a dramatic difference. Um, I did lose some weight. That was also in tandem with being more conscious about my diet. So hard to tell. But I think the best thing is just that I know it's something in my mind that I know I'm doing for myself and and taking care of myself in that way. And I certainly feel energized. I'm more productive. My self-consciousness about it, if you could call it that doesn't exist. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, My attitude is that if anyone, a friend or, or someone I know, was not supportive or not inclusive of me because I'm not drinking. I wouldn't consider that person to be a good friend. So that hasn't happened because my friends are awesome and I'm very blessed with that. But I just want to encourage anyone who has been thinking about this or has a challenging relationship with alcohol who doesn't believe that they cannot drink or doesn't believe that they can take control of this impulse that you can, and you should try. You have the power to try. Maybe you'll fail. Maybe you have a self-limiting belief or a voice in your head telling you that you can't do it, but you don't know until you try. So try. Why not? Why not try? And every day it's a choice. Every day we wake up and have choices to make, and this is something that you can control. So that's all I'll say about that for the time being. I plan to continue not drinking, and we'll see how it goes. 
probably won't talk about it again like this because I don't really feel the need to, but I just want to let you know that <laughs> it won't kill you and uh, you'll you'll feel better if you don't drink. So nothing you didn't know, but just another, another fly in your ear uh, telling you to give it a shot if it's something that's been on your mind. Okay, so next up, meditation. Why meditate? Um, well, I found a, a journal article titled Brief Daily Meditation Enhances Attention, Memory, Mood, and Emotional Regulation in Non-Experienced Meditators. The journal is Behavioral Brain Research. The year was 2018, and I will I will list the full um, annotated reference for you. Uh, basically, this study looked at a control group and a test group, like all studies do. It was about 30 people total. This was done in New York, I believe. The control group listened to daily a 13-minute podcast. The test group did a daily guided meditation also for 13 minutes. The podcast was chosen to be a science podcast, but filtered to be unrelated to meditation. This was because they wanted the control group to be activated in their minds, to still be cognitively firing, cognitively firing, but not meditating. And the idea, I suppose, is that, you know, cognitively firing, working, focusing, reading, these things have a positive connotation. So rather than just goofing off or listening to music, maybe, you know, maybe some people listen to music actively, but it's often a casual, relaxing thing. So I believe that's that's why they chose a education-focused podcast. The it's a full peer-reviewed study, so it goes into all types of things about definitions, the demographics of their of their sample size, how the the measurement tools, which is very important, the measurement tools for how they, you know, measured before and after attention, memory, mood span, all that stuff. Um, but the the common factor for all of the participants was that they were non-experienced meditators. They had no. Um, outstanding health issues. They did not smoke and they had no diagnosed mental illnesses. And this was to just make it probably as applicable to the normal person who isn't dealing with moderate to severe depression or anxiety, who doesn't have an other health condition. Um, the need, the contextual need for this study was, it was more longitudinal. So it took place over eight weeks rather than over the course over after a, an intense period of meditation. So the idea was that there were existing studies about intense short-term meditation, say after like a weekend retreat where you meditate for eight hours a day, uh, but nothing over a longer period. I guess this qualifies as longitudinal, but it doesn't, it's not that long. It's eight weeks, but I guess longer than three days is, is certainly better. The, um, the study references the HPA axis this is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis which according to the paper is a major component of the endocrine system that controls our reaction to stress. And that's what a lot of the study revolves around um, is responses to stress and how we, things like our blood pressure in a stressful situation and how long it takes to come down. That's a way to measure someone's ability to react to stress. And the, 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 the real conclusion they had from the, from the test was that after eight but not four weeks, so 
the midterm the midterm point of checking in for the participants was four weeks. After four weeks, there was no real benefit. But after eight weeks of daily short meditation, that was also part of the idea of the study was to make it short. So 13 minutes a day is is a pretty approachable. The one I've been trying to do is a bit longer and it can be difficult. So a daily short meditation and non-meditators. The study found to decrease negative mood states, including decreases in mood disturbance, anxiety, fatigue scores, and enhanced attention and working memory, and also recognition memory. So the study goes into detail of definitions and how they measured these things. But essentially, increases in cognitive function. Uh, also interestingly, interestingly found less quality sleep, which, which is very interesting. I'm definitely would want to look more into that because you would think with all these other positive changes, there would be better quality sleep. But the high-level takeaways are that something very interesting within this is that individuals who were best able to regulate in response to an acute stressor showed the largest decrease in negative mood states in in combination with this meditation. So that means that the people who can regulate in response to a stressful situation. So a classic way they do this is by asking someone to take a high number, say 2,224 and subtract by 13. And every time they get a number wrong, the, the administrator will tell them they got the number wrong. That's a good way to make someone apparently is a good way to make someone reliably get stressed. So they measure how long does it take for someone to calm down after that. So there's a link between the people who benefited the most from the meditation were the people who were able to regulate to in response to an acute stressor the best. And that's interesting to me because it tells us that control and self-control is part of this equation. The ability to recognize when something stressful is happening observe it and then not respond to it or respond to it in a controlled manner opens up other areas for us to benefit in our, in our lives. So for example, today or tonight when I'm recording this, it's later than I wanted to. Normally I have this done ahead of time before this moment. I'm ready. I have my podcast for the week queued up a few days in advance that didn't happen in this scenario, but I chose to just power through, take care of the recording, get it done, read the study, do what I need to do in the most efficient way. Cause then after that, I know I'll feel better instead of worrying about it, stressing about it and letting it continue to rile me up. So the benefit then is that in the rest of my day, I wasn't worried about it. I knew I had time allocated later than I wanted to, but time allocated to take care of it. So I, th- I thought that was very interesting that the the individuals best able to regulate showed the largest decrease in negative mood states. So our ability to respond in a controlled and intentional way to challenges has a positive impact on our mood states, which is cool to see that kind of buried in this literature but it's something that is one common sense and two something that many sources, if you go try to learn about improving your mood or improving your productivity, will tell you things like that. If, if you know the classic 
the classic, I don't know if it's tropes the right word, but it's not about what happens to you, but how you react to it. And it, and it also reports that, uh, there are other studies out there. This is in 2018. So this is old and in, in the life of meditation literature, I'm sure, but adds to similar literature who found these similar results. Um, the last thing that was interesting was that meditation related emotional regulation is more strongly linked to benefits and affective states than cognitive function function. So affective states from my understanding is just an emotional state. It's when the emotion rules the, the consciousness. Um, so essentially from my understanding of this line is that meditation is better to help you with emotional regulation than with being able to, let's say, memorize or recite or maybe even focus. My understanding of the literature is that the main benefit of meditation is for focus, but this is saying that the actual, the emotional side, the self-control side is where the strongest benefit is going to come from. So meditation may not make you a faster reader or a more efficient worker, but it will help you not pinball through your life and be in control. And that's pretty cool. So I'll link to that article if anyone wants to read it. And I will do more of these types of um, reviews in the future uh, in more detail as well. So the last thing that I want to share is about the different types of self-discovery that each of us need. I was talking to someone about what she's working on with her her self-work, if you will, and I realized that each of us has different gaps to fill or different weaknesses, if you want to call them that, or holes in our education to, to fill. So for example, for myself, I was very blessed. I escaped childhood with any serious trauma. I was never abandoned by a parent as a child. I was never abused physically or sexually, sexually as a child. So my ability to trust, my ability to love, my ability to see the good in people is largely intact. For people who were abused or abandoned or were in a family where emotionally their parents were unavailable or they were constantly let down or they knew that their parent could not be relied upon or they grew up in a fear state um, of not having enough, um, whether it be physical resources or love or chances to a good sleep, a good, a good meal in their belly, whatever, whatever the lack was, all of those things lead up to what we face as adults. So some people might need to learn, might need to reparent themselves and tell themselves, I'll be here for you, you know, talking to themselves, but essentially reparenting. Some people may need to work on, you know, those past traumas, those past bullies, those past demons don't define me in the future. I have the power to take my life back. There's a lot of nuanced ways. Each of us need different things. I'm realizing the things I need are control and not giving into impulses. So something we learned from Dr. Christian Heim, 
way back earlier in the podcast is that delayed gratification is a buffer to addiction. Being able to delay what you want, not drink the coffee when you want it, not masturbate, not look at the porn when you want to, not waste time on the computer when you need to be working, not lay in bed, not hit snooze, all of those things, all of those easy little instant gratifications, one, they debilitate our self-trust, they debilitate our ability to believe our own word, and two, they open up the possibility for addiction. So whether that's now moving to substances, alcohol, tobacco, nicotine, marijuana, cocaine, fentanyl, heroin, whatever, wherever on the scale of relative danger a substance is, if we have experience delaying gratification, experience not giving in to the easy solution, then we are building up a buffer, a wall, a barrier between addiction and ourselves. And that's what I'm focusing on is truly getting clear on what do I want? What do I want to control? Do I want to control my life or do I want, for example, alcohol to control me? Do I want to be pinballed around by the cultural norms of the time in which I find myself? Or do I want to be in my own power and do what I want to do with my life and build the life for myself and my loved ones that I want? And what I'm reflecting on here is this that, you know, I'm learning that through my own self-reflection and you can too. If you take the time to think and read and reflect and learn, then you can understand yourself more and what you need more. And I know that the more I get on this path, I will find other holes in my education, other things I need to work on. But right now the impulse control and controlling the things I can control is really attractive to me and something I'm really resonating with because I know that life throws storms at you and life throws problems at you. The things I'm in control of, if I can take care of that, then there's one less thing to worry about. So overall, things are going well. I'm enjoying not drinking. I'm enjoying meditating. I'm enjoying tracking my food and monitoring my macronutrients, that kind of thing. And I just want to share with you this message of hope and positivity that you have control. You are not a victim and you are in your own power if you believe in yourself and try. And there are a lot of people, free resources online, who are much more experienced, verbose, inspirational than me. And if you really, if this is, if you feel anything resonating with you about what I've been talking about, just do some searching online. You can find resources and people that maybe resonate with you more than I do. But go and find them. And that's where I'll leave it with you. I'm going to take a line from <laughs> this guy, Bedros, who, uh, Bedros Koulian, who, who inspired me with the six-week challenge originally, who always ends his episodes by saying that average is the enemy, success is your duty, and everything can change for the better in your life the moment you're ready to flip the switch. So whatever that switch is for you, flip it, enjoy it, and thank you all for listening. 
I will see you next Friday on the next week's episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast.